This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Bay McLaughlin from Brink, a hardware accelerator in Hong Kong. We discuss how Brink helps hardware startups to scale and leverage on the Shenzhen hardware manufacturing ecosystem and their new drone accelerator program and get his perspectives on the Shenzhen hardware manufacturing ecosystem. Hi, Bay. What's going on? How are you doing? Doing really good. Yes, and you're based in Hong Kong, right? That's correct. Yes, and I'm talking to Babe McLaughlin, current Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Brink, a hardware startup accelerator in Hong Kong. But before that, I need to full disclosure, my wife, the founder of Ideal Workspace, is currently incubated under Brink, and they're also a sponsor of our show. So with all that cleared, so Babe, how have you been and what have you been up to? been really good. I just got back from almost a month touring all the different IoT and hardware hubs across Europe. And then this morning, we just kicked off with 12 fantastic companies in our go-to-market boot camp and one of our China trips that we run every two months with one of our partners, Make in LA, a great hardware accelerator in Los Angeles. So it's been a high energy morning and a lot of great hardware founders running around our office. And I thought this would be interesting to let you know is that one of my classmates from Singularity University was actually visiting Brink at this time. Yes, was, I just met her this morning. Yes. She told me to say hi to you. <laughs> yes. I wanted to start off by getting to know you better. How do you start your career? I started my career doing accounting and actually marine biology, funny enough. But I transitioned into doing technology startups because I was fortunate enough to get a job with Apple when I was in college. So I was able to start learning what it, what it was really like to work for a big tech company, even in my college years. So I didn't have to wait till I got out. So I was actually able to stay on with Apple during my master's program as well. And then I you know, went from the big corporate to the startup world. I moved to San Francisco, went into back-to-back startup companies. One of them won, one of them lost, started my own software company, which I put on pause, lost a lot of money on in 2008. I decided to go back to Apple again, where I helped them create the small to medium business division, which for me was sort of a breakout moment in my career. And then I ended up working ongoing time with Apple, learning how to help software startups, learning how to help accelerators, and then ultimately the venture capital community when I was at Apple, because there was a lot that we could do to support. And big startup companies really act differently than small businesses or mom and pops and very differently than, let's say, an enterprise company. So I created a division at Apple that specifically focused on technology startups and VCs. And after that, my own city. And then a couple of years later, now Brink, which we've been running two and a half years now and very happy with the progress. But, you know, we're always learning and always working hard. So what brings you to Asia and what is the origin story of Brink then? For me, coming to Asia was two main pieces. The first was I was in San Francisco for almost 10 years, and I feel super fortunate for what I was able to learn and the mentors and access and everything that I did there. But it just started feeling a little bit repetitive for me, and I just sort of lost that spark. And and that could just be the time. You know, if you've been anywhere eight to 10 years, you know, maybe you need to change. But it was also, I had started seeing this hardware trend, and it was with a couple of my friends that had started some of the early hardware companies and a couple of the VCs that were making the investments. And I realized that maybe possibly the next generation was not going to be just software, that it was going to be hardware, and that if I was going to be a part of that, that I need to come to Asia. So I came to Asia one-way ticket. I've never actually been to Asia a day in my life. 
my wife and I sold everything we owned in Francisco and New York, and we moved directly here. And I started going to factories, started traveling to China and various Southeast Asian countries pretty much every week. And then I ended up meeting my co-founder in Beijing at a conference. We had brought on another partner, maybe like say four to five months later. So it sort of evolved naturally, but it wasn't, I always like to say, it wasn't some master plan. I just knew that hardware was going to be big. I knew that if you're going to do hardware, you had to come to China and then just was open-minded and doing what I used to do in San Francisco, but now focusing on physical founders instead of digital or software founders. And here we are, you know, two and a half years later. From working in a corporation in Apple and Intercom to, to an entrepreneur and investor in French Press Films and Brink, what are the interesting career lessons you, that you can share? Probably too many for a short interview, but I think some of the things that I've learned that I talk a lot about recently is really knowing yourself as a founder because I really think that we've gotten a little bit confused about this and I'm certainly probably been part of the problem, you know, my own way in San Francisco is everyone doesn't need to be a founder. And when I was in my young twenties, I didn't really know that. So a couple of the companies I was working on and definitely in my own business, it wasn't a bad experience. Obviously we all learn from everything we do in the world, but I felt this pressure that I was supposed to be a founder and that even at 24, when I started my first company, that it was almost too late. I was, everyone else was starting so early and everyone was a founder in technology in San Francisco. But that's one of my most common threads now is that everyone is just making sure you know yourself. Being a founder is incredibly, incredibly challenging. And if you want to get to startups, you can definitely get into startups by doing other things like being one of the first employees or, you know, after they have fundraising or a little traction coming in as employee, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, and still getting that really nice experience that you'd maybe want to transition from being in the corporate space. But on the other hand, you know, one of the reasons I went back to Apple a second time it wasn't just because of the downturn in 2008, 2009. It was actually that I learned from starting my own business and being in other startups that there really wasn't a level of operational excellence to running these businesses. And I saw over and over again, these companies were stumbling or sometimes even failing. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to learn this stuff, I'm not going to learn it by you know reading TechCrunch and going to meetups and pitch nights. I need to actually go to a company I really look up to and respect. So going to Apple for me was a way to essentially get my PhD or whatever kind of you know, postgraduate degree in operations and how to really run a company well. So for me, I'd say that you want to have that balance. Obviously you can start a company early. You just don't have to. And if just because you're in a corporate doesn't mean that you can, you know, have to be in a corporate forever. You can definitely join smaller businesses and bring that big corporate mentality and all the great education you have there into helping a smaller entity. So I think it's maybe just first and foremost, not putting this undue kind of silly amount of pressure on yourself that you can do whatever you want to do, whether it be building a startup yourself, joining an early startup, or taking that corporate knowledge, it's all good. And I just wish I had known that when I was a little bit younger. And of course, Apple is one of the top companies in the world that actually has a very excellent su supply chain. And I'm sure that expertise would help you to think about how you advise hardware companies in their operations. So, which comes to the main subject of the day. So, we want to talk about Brink. From what I know, it's a hardware accelerator in Hong Kong, but manufactured in Shenzhen, China. So, I want to start off with the first question. What is the mission and vision of Brink? Very simple. We want to help everyone in the world unlock the world's data so that then we can take that data and improve our lives. And the challenge that we see is that a lot of people, both in software and hardware, start with, I want to change the world. And that's a great 
obviously, you know, aspiration. But the hard part in today's world is making informed decisions because we just don't have the data required in the, you know, the majority of problems. And for us, we really think that sensors and physical technologies are going to allow us to access information and data that we've never been able to before, whether it be from the environment, like in the dirt or the sun or waterways to our bodies, you know, unlocking information like the quantified self movement has allowed us to really focus on. And once you have that data, we can then work together to figure out what are the best ways ways to analyze and implement the insights to actually improve the world. So really, that's all we care to do. We just see so many good ideas, so many good founders that are failing or struggling to do hardware because they're not used to it. Or let's say China or the physical world or the old economy isn't what they grew up with. And we really think that these things deserve to exist. And so we did start out as an accelerator. We've since built our studio in China from some of our histories and started helping teams do their manufacturing and distribution. So we're continuing to evolve as we see new problems for different you know, founders around the world because we just know that this future needs to exist and that we're all going to be better for it. But we've got to help the inventors and the founders out there get there sooner. Who's on the Brink team and what's the expertise to help the hardware startups then? We actually have got a, quite a large team. So we're almost 25 people now, and we're between Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, London, and Bahrain in the Middle East. And we have people that are early stage, so they're working on customer discovery, making sure that you're making the right product for the right customer at the right price point. We have people on staff that launch companies professionally. So we've launched 22 products. We have teams, uh, team members like our engineering teams. We've got everyone from ex-Foxconn family to rocket scientists, actually, (laughs) that help us run our drone program. Then we have all the old economy guys. We have merchandisers and traders and people that do the distribution, supply chain, logistics, QC. So we really have the entire stack. And if we don't have something, you know, we either have a great advisor or partner uh, in that position or we'll end up hiring them. So what's the investment thesis for Brink in how they select startups for the accelerator then? Well, I'd like to say that it's some amazing formula, but it's not really how it works. So we started out with a couple of verticals that we felt like we understood. So for me, I have a background in music. So we did a couple audio investments and music investments, and we made a couple of investments in the health space. Both our, my co-founder, Monov, and I are super passionate about. So we really were open-minded. The only thing that we said internally was that the consumer relationship needed to be important. So it could be directly B2C, it could be B2B2C, but we didn't really think we had the background for pure B2B applications like machine to machine or sensor technologies in factories or, or whatnot. Now, we are starting to look into that more now that we've been doing this two and a half years. So it's not our core focus, but our only real filter at this stage is that there needs to be an aspect of the consumer relationship that the company, the founders we work with want to control or are going to have some control over. So it wouldn't just be a sensor that then disappears into the OEM, ODM world and shows up in other devices and the consumer never knows. So how does the accelerator program work for the startups in Brinkham? Well, also, it's evolved a lot. We've learned. We've tried cohorts. We've tried rolling a mission. We've tried pretty much everything. But the way that we look at it is that every single founder is different. Whenever we tried to batch our startups, we found that every hardware company is incredibly, incredibly different. And only you know one of two things happens. Either you're slowing down the good students, so to speak, the ones that are further along to help the guys that are you know younger, 
or, or earlier in their career, or the vice versa. So really, it doesn't make much sense to put them in a batched environment. So what we do is we create a tailored program for every single founder, and we just ask, where are you now, and where do you want to go? And we'll create a custom structure for them. And that's because we've been going through this at a very rapid pace. You know, We have 40 years of experience manufacturing, distributing in China, so we're not guessing when it comes to this stuff. So when we review a team, we come to a consensus together with the founders of what we think they need to accomplish, and what support they need. And then it's all about one-on-one tailored office hours with us. So we're not a program like other programs that outsource the work to mentors, which is fine in other structures. But for us in hardware, we really think that unfortunately today there aren't a ton of people just lying around available to spend time being a mentor that really understand this space. So for us, it's all about one-on-one time with the founders and a custom curriculum for them based on where they are and where they want to go. So how does Spring set itself apart from other accelerator programs then? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're sort of the only one doing this. So if you look at, you know, all the other groups, we're quite friendly. You actually have groups today in the office that have gone to pretty much every other hardware accelerator in the world. And for whatever reason, you know, teams end up leaving these programs and there's just a couple of things that they didn't get or something else they need. So we don't really look at ourselves as competitive as much as actually supplementary saying, hey, when you leave a program and you need something else, feel free to come to us. We're, we'll be happy to help. Or after you leave one of our programs, if you want to go partner with one of the other groups, please do that too. We'll just be here as a platform to support the life cycle. We have teams coming to us when they've already shipped hundreds of thousands of pieces and still wanting to join us. So we're very very flexible and and look at the end-to-end relationship at least it's our belief having done hardware is that you need to support founders over their entire life cycle because the problems don't disappear they just change you know the companies that are shipping hundreds of thousands of pieces still have real problems just like the company that's sitting there with their arduino and their makerspace you know wherever they live just starting out so which are the interesting companies currently on your portfolio if you can share some Sure. Well, so for me, I'll just take, you know, my personal interest, you know, if you ask anyone on the team, we all have our favorites, but for me, I really love quantified self. I really love the health space. So we have a couple of amazing, amazing technology. We have a children's device called Kiddo, which is a wearable device for children, which I really think is going to unlock an amazing amount of insight about parenting and children's health that we just don't have today. One of the biggest things around health is you need to have persistent or long-form data sets to understand the trends, and none of us really do. You know, even all of us wearing Apple Watches and Fitbits, you know, we're very limited in the terms of the kind of actionable insights that we can do today. We also have devices for the elderly or people that fall. We have really, really great algorithms for that and how to support them working with hospitals in the Philippines to try to figure this out because regulations are a little bit more flexible and we can be a little bit more hands-on. We have devices for like Pill Drill. It's one of our companies out to San Francisco, which helps people with their medication adherence and getting their dignity back in the years of their life where they need support, you know, as they age. So, I mean, I, I literally, literally, we have 14 companies in the portfolio and I feel very fortunate to work with all of them, including Ideal Workspace, your wife's company. Um, so glad to have that product before the holiday, like testing it out in the office. So I think workplace health is something that is absolutely paramount that we all suffer from. I know I do. So, I mean, really for me personally, I just have a, a soft spot for health, but we also have a major vertical that we focus on in audio and music and another vertical in sports. And we have a couple others that we'll announce probably next year. What are the traits of startup founding teams do you think that are crucial to your successes and failures? Well, it's very obvious to me that hardware is one of the most challenging types of business models that you could ever make. So 
one of the biggest things that we look for is coachability or open-mindedness. And that doesn't mean naivety or malleability where I expect them to just believe what we tell them. But if you're a founder and you haven't built and shipped and distribute a physical company or product before, it's really challenging to come with a chip on your shoulder or thinking that because you read stuff on the internet or you know a guy that you really understand this space. And so we find that the founders that go the fastest are the ones that are the most logical, but are also the most open to feedback from people that know this. And they don't take everything at face value, but they do argue and go through the process, but they're open to changing their opinion and their strategy based on the people that are here to help them. So to me, that's been like the, the, both the number one in terms of success and the number one in terms of failure. The teams that we've met that have raised over a million dollars on crowdfunding that have come here and wherever they've come from believe that because they have this money or because they know a guy or because whatever, that they just are going to figure it out and they don't want help. I really feel bad about it, but we have had multiple multi-million dollar campaigns and founders come to our office in Hong Kong and come back later completely bankrupt. And that doesn't have to happen. But I think it's really challenging if you haven't built this type of company before to not be open to feedback. Do you connect the startups in your portfolio with other accelerators or venture capital firms after they complete your accelerator program? Right. So we don't necessarily have a quote-unquote completion. So a little different also. So even though our teams don't need us as often all the time, they kind of cycle naturally through our front-end program to our Chinese program for manufacturing and then to our grow-to-market program and our distribution and growth teams. So they don't really stop working with Brink. They just kind of proceed through the system. So even our portfolio companies that joined us over two years ago are still working with us because, again, the problems don't disappear. They just change. And for us, because it's our own money, we feel really, really, I don't know, it's sensitive to just spraying and praying. Like we don't just go put in 20 companies and we've seen over a thousand deals. We've only accepted 14 in two years. Like that's a very low ratio of, of uh, success in terms of uh, people applying and getting in. But the ones that do, we very much want to work with them for their lifetime. Like we have no desire to stop working with our portfolio. So I, I think we, we introduce them to a very, very vetted group of angel and VCs that understand hardware. And we do a lot of education in the investment community to help the software or the new economy investors that are interested in investing in hardware start to get a sense of what's going on because that's a really challenging transition from a business model for people that are used to investing in digital to all of a sudden jump into physical. So it's a transition and it takes time, but we introduce our founders to absolutely everyone in the world that can help them at all. So you have recently started a drone accelerator program within Brink. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So this is actually a new step forward for us. We usually take teams that we can better see the immediate commercialization. Drones was an interesting opportunity for us because we do invest heavily in having the right brains and very forward-looking technologists in our space. So we have smart cities, blockchain. We have different people working on VR, AR. Like we're very, very seriously investing and staying on top of this because you never know where it's going to go and it all sort of blends together. But when we looked at drones, we realized that really China in a lot of ways is just sort of one when it comes to the hardware, but that there's really a lot of opportunity on software and services that maybe hadn't been explored yet. And we're able to find a great partner in Barcelona and in Cubio and said, hey, what if we did a call out 
and really got a sense of where's everyone's, you know, from the inventors and the founders, where's everyone's head at right now when it comes to drones? Because really, you know, we had Domino's deliver a pizza successfully last week in New Zealand, like, you know, great. But maybe there's some other interesting, you know, services out there that we can work with. And so we've already received over 90 applications. We're still reviewing those. And it's impressive just how, you know, many applications and services are going to be built on top of drones in the future. And we feel very, very, you know, happy and fortunate that a lot of these guys are willing to join us and, and kind of go down that road, similar to what we did in hardware, but now for people that want to build on top of drones as a platform. I wanted to pick your brains on the hardware startup ecosystem in Shenzhen and Hong Kong because they're very close to each other. Most investors tend to prefer software over hardware due to the amount of offering capital. Why did your accelerator choose to pick on the focus on hardware? So for us, it's really a personal thing. It's not about the money. And again, because it's our own money, you know, we can do whatever we feel like. It's, it's more of where's the world going? And we really do think that the physical world will be connected and that will be a huge benefit to everyone, including the planet. I think by connecting the physical aspects of our world, we actually can do a lot to preserve the physical resources in the world. But I think that for us, it was where can we add the most value? And because we have such deep experience in China and such deep experience in manufacturing and distribution, and we saw this trend happening, it seemed obvious that we would you know, utilize our backgrounds and our skills to come together and support this next generation of entrepreneurship. And frankly, a lot's changing. I think that's the one thing that everyone has to become comfortable with is realizing that, is realizing that we are absolutely at the beginning of this and we don't know where we're going and there's so so much to learn but if we just put our heads down and do good work every day with the founders that we work with then you know we'll hopefully have some impact in the world but we definitely think that physical is underrepresented and under supported and we hope that we can do something about that given the proximity of hong kong as a financial hub and shenzhen as a manufacturing hub what are your perspectives on how a hardware startup moves between both ecosystems? I understand from Casey Lau, I guess a year ago, I think things may have changed now that both ecosystems don't really communicate with each other. But I think things have shifted a lot since the last year when I spoke to him. Yeah, there's a lot more overlap, I'd say. I think the, the one theory that we have is that if you're a foreign founder, you know, and you really don't understand manufacturing or China, you know, going to a factory is absolutely critical. It's actually why we have seven or eight companies right now today joining us on our China trip is they want to go learn and see. But the challenge is, I think this is one of my jokes is once you work with the factory, let's say you're going to do a little design revision and you give feedback, well, then what do you do? You just sit there. Because you can't help the factory. <laughs> the factory has to do what they do. And so for those weeks, sometimes it's a couple of weeks at a time between iteration cycles, there's not much you could do. And so you sort of sit stagnant. Unfortunately, the internet is getting worse, not better in China for a Western you know, founder. So it's really challenging to keep running the company when you're sitting behind the firewall. So we see that there's this beautiful marriage, you know, having Hong Kong's access to the Western world, the trade, the distribution, the investors, all the different banks for trade financing, and everyone always says, you know, the legal you know, setup. And that's great. It's not that important to startups, but it's really, really important that they can access the Western world and all the different cultures and buyers and socioeconomic classes here to like understand, you know, what is their product and who's it for. But then when they need to, 45 minutes, hour and a half, boom, you're in your factory. You can really go at the speed that China goes and you don't have to be flying back and forth, let's say to Europe or the U.S., how does one navigate the Shenzhen hardware ecosystem for product development and manufacturing? I mean, it's a different language, it's a different culture. 
Well, my biggest bit of feedback is always getting advice from someone. So whether that be joining a group like us through our accelerator or our manufacturing studio as a service, it could be, let's say, just joining and getting into a mentor and advisor. Like that's one of my biggest bits of feedback is if you're a founder and you've never shipped a physical product before, you absolutely need an advisor or a mentor that has. So it's okay to you know pay for a service. It's okay to use your equity and join a program. It's okay to just get a mentor and advisor, but the chances, which, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the likelihood of you having no background in this and having no access and knowing no one that has done manufacturing and distribution and all this stuff from China and then coming to China and doing it super successfully is fairly low. It's not impossible. I've seen it, but at a very big loss in terms of time and a lot of money getting wasted. So I'm a huge fan of partnering, you know, as everyone always says, having a a big slice of a pie that's worth nothing is worth nothing. You know, it's better to have a smaller bit of something that's actually worth something. So for hardware startups, I think that the trend should tip more to utilizing your equity and whatever resources you have early to bring in the right groups to surround you and help decrease that risk early because surviving for hardware founders in the first couple of rounds is generally the hardest. Like once you're shipping products, you're making money, you've learned enough where you probably don't need as many advisors at that point. But in the early days, I think it's critical. So nowadays, there are a lot of hardware projects on Kickstarter or Indiegogo get cloned easily by factories in Shenzhen at scale. I mean, for example, the Israeli Yekutel Sherman Southeast State. How does one mitigate against intellectual property loss? Or maybe they should just suck it up and accept the competition? Yeah, well, I always I always make the joke that if you find that someone's copying you in China, that's an incredible form of flattery and probably a really good sign that if China thinks it's worth making what you're making, you're probably onto something. And if a factory decides not to copy you, that who knows, it, it might not be a good sign. But there's nothing you can do. You know, I always say that Apple and Samsung have all the money in the world. They have all the lawyers and they own all the patents. And guess what? Their phones still look exactly the same. And all the interactions are exactly the same. So it's one of those challenges. Like I completely understand why people worry about it, but if that's what you're worried about, let's be honest, even if you did figure it out and you were going to be able to like, let's say sue someone for something, it's never going to work. You don't have the money. You're not going to win that fight. It just doesn't make sense to be spending your time and you know concerning yourself there. One thing that we have found a couple of our companies where the actual value is their algorithm we do help them do the filing for their algorithm, but we're not filing the algorithm patents you know, in China. So it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's up to you, obviously, but a lot of investors say they need it. Well, the only thing we know for sure is that if you want to sell your company to a large corporation, they definitely will require patents. It's going to be hard to sell your business just on you know, the commercial viability. So the money you're making, they do need patents if that's your plan. Otherwise, I think commercial defensibility is your best. Just make sure you can sell a lot of products. You can keep the lights on. You have you know the ability to produce multiple products after your first product. That's the best way to survive. So Bay, thank you for sharing your thoughts on Brink and also, and also the insights that you have on the Shenzhen and Hong Kong ecosystems on hardware. So tell my audience, how do they find you? Easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. I'm just at beta, B-E-T-A, Bay, B-A-Y, and also on Whale. So you can just go to Ask Whale. It's also in my Twitter profile. I love helping out, giving advice to anyone. So feel free to ask me questions on Whale, and I'll get back to you with a video response and uh, get part of the conversation. Just enjoy. Like We're here to help. If I can connect you guys to anyone, I'd be happy to do so.
And you can find me at bleongcw at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and TuneIn. And of course, Google Play only in the US market. Of course, drop me any kind of feedback anytime you want to. And of course, the year is coming to an end. And thank you for coming on the show. And we're going to have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. You too.